Welcome to the Keystone Church Podcast. Keystone Church is located in Keller, Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Now, let's prepare our hearts for this week's message. Well, I am so, so thankful to be here with you today. I hope everybody's gotten all your shopping done and me saying that doesn't give you heart palpitations. We are right there, everybody. Christmas is here and it is a powerful, powerful season and we love Christmas at Keystone Church. You know, today... I have the privilege to wrap up a series that we have been in called Stand Firm. As a church, we've been walking through the book of 1 Peter and we've been opening up its pages and hearing God as he encourages us that in this wild and crazy and often unstable world that we are living in, God says you and I have the power to stand firm. It's gonna depend on whom we're standing on, the foundation, the anchor that we're anchored to. And so we're gonna look today at a specific passage in 1 Peter that I believe is gonna help us. But just to remind us, when Peter was writing these words, he was writing to God's people, to the early Christians who were in incredible persecution. They were undergoing persecution for what they believed, who they believed in, and they had no idea that right around the corner it was about to get even Worse, we live in a world that is hostile to the things of God and to God's people. We don't know what's around the corner of our lives, but what we know is that we serve a God that we can trust and we can stand firm in who he is and who he says we are. So today, we're gonna look at a specific passage and we're gonna talk about a specific point that I believe everybody in here, we've gotta get this right. We've gotta get this straight in our heart or we will be living a very unstable life. And that is, we've gotta be able to stand firm in our identity. Curious question, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm interested if you do. Has anyone ever had your identity stolen? You get that little fraud alert. Okay, I see you all over. Fraud alert on your phone. Somebody calls you from the credit card company. Hey, did you make these charges? Often it's no big deal, quickly resolved. I remember one time, it's like a foggy memory because it was such a small blip on the radar of our lives. But that happened to us. And I remember our credit card calling us and saying, is this you in some other city or in some other state? And there was even a picture of someone like at a random Walmart. It was definitely not us who was just racking up our card. And and quickly our credit card knew exactly what to do. The case was resolved, it was no big deal. But for some of us, it is a huge deal. They start, that thief starts getting into your social security information, your personal information, maybe even into your bank account. I'm guessing someone in this room knows what I'm talking about and it was a huge hassle and it's an eerie feeling and you feel violated in those moments when that thief steals your identity. Well, there was this huge case. Perhaps some have said, I was reading about it this week, one of the biggest cases since the internet, this guy named Abraham Abdullah. This guy named Abraham, he was this busboy by day, thief by night, working in a restaurant. And what he would do is after he would go work as a busboy, he would go to the local library. He found a Forbes magazine with all of the wealthiest people in America. And with the help of the internet, he began to target celebrities to the likes of Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, and he would find their social security information, all their private data, home addresses. And this guy, he went on this as he called it Operation CEO. For two years, he was stealing money from over 200 wealthy people. 
And what's so interesting is this guy went undetected. And by the time that the cops finally found him, he had hundreds upon hundreds of credit cards. And he had stolen up to $80 million worth worth of money. I mean, this is quite the identity thief. He finally got busted. The the article told me that when he, I guess, made a $10 million transfer, Merrill Lynch was like, this is suspicious, which I don't even understand. I don't even comprehend. But this guy was getting away with it until he finally was caught. I believe for you and for me, while you may not have money being stolen out of your bank account, there may not be an identity theft hitting your pocketbook, but I believe many of us are having identity theft of our soul. We don't know who we are. And as a result, we're missing the potential for our lives. We're lacking the peace in our minds. We're being robbed of the joy and the confidence that God gives us. And God says, I wanna change that starting right now. So who am I? Who am I? Perhaps this is one of the biggest questions of our day. If I don't know who I am, I am going to chase everything to find out. I'm gonna look in the eyes of a guy and if he tells me I'm beautiful, I'm gonna feel like I'm okay. Or I'm gonna look for that affirmation and a woman's respect or her esteem. And when I receive it, then I feel like I'm all right. Or I'm gonna chase who am I with the lifestyle that I live until finally maybe one day I will have arrived. And we chase and we chase. And if we don't know who we are, we might even wonder, should I even be here? Should I even be here at all? And we miss the one, the only one who sees us, who loves us, who is for us, not against us, who gave his whole life for us, who calls us. And he is the only one who can define us. The Bible talks about this thief. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. We're gonna start for a moment to unpack and understand who our enemy is. Because if we understand our enemy, we're gonna be aware when he comes with his fraudulent schemes. We've gotta understand how he works. We've gotta understand who he is. And Jesus shows us, the Bible reveals it to us in the very beginning. We first encounter the enemy in Genesis chapter three, where we see Adam and Eve, the first people, encounter that liar, that thief. And the liar comes to Eve and he says, hey, did God really say that you can't eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And she engages with him. No, 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 that's not what God said. But he did say that if we eat of the fruit of this tree, then we will die. And the enemy said in Genesis 3, verse four, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. What is he saying? Eve, God's a liar. God's holding out on you. And by the way, Eve, you're not smart enough Because if you eat that fruit, you're gonna have more knowledge. You're gonna be like God. Eve, 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 hold on. Let me tell you who you are. This is what the enemy did then. And this is what the enemy does today is the enemy preying upon your life. Because listen to this, Satan preys upon our desires. Eve wanted that fruit. She listened to him. She became convinced and she saw that fruit and she wanted it. Satan will prey upon our desires and he will partner with our unbelief. 
Do you believe God today? What is it that you want? What is it that you are chasing? God says, I am the one who defines who you are. I am the one who gives you purpose and fulfillment in your life. So we're gonna take a moment and look at some of the lies that steal our identity. And I pray as we look at these lies that you will open up your heart and say, God, is there somewhere in my life where I have grabbed this lie and I've been living a false identity? Identity theft number one, the lie is I am who other people say I am. This is powerful. And this is everywhere in our souls and in our minds. I am who other people say that I am. Maybe it's your parents in those developmental years. Maybe growing up, your parents spoke words over you, which is great if your parents were speaking Jesus over your life. If they were speaking the truth from the Bible about who you are. But I know that many of us in this room, that's not your story. Maybe your parents looked at you and they said, you're not lovable. You're not worth it. You are a mistake. You shouldn't have even been born. And they speak these words that as that developmental stage in a human's life, they go deep inside of our hearts. And we begin to soak on those words and we find ourselves, even as adults, trying to overcompensate and overcome these labels in our life. Or maybe it happened to you when you were a kid at school. Could have been at school, could have been on the playground, could have been in the locker room, the hallways of your high school. Other students said cruel words to you. There was cruelty against you. And maybe it was just little messages like, you're so stupid. You're such a loser. And you heard it enough times that it got in your mind. You're like, oh, that's childish. That's not affecting me at all. Yet here you are as an adult consistently trying to prove them wrong. You're not conscious of it. You're not necessarily aware of it, but you're seeking how to please people, how to gain affirmation. If I can acquire enough possessions, then they're wrong and I am okay. Gotta watch out for the thief of trying to believe that other people have the power to say who we are. When we allow people to identify us and to define us, it is a dead end road. It leads to performance-based relationships, it leads to exhaustion, despair. People did not create you, therefore people cannot define you. They can't define us. They're not our creator. Identity theft number two, I am who my sins say I am. I believe someone, if you will lean into this moment, is about to get free. I believe often that we can begin to define who we are at the point of our greatest sin the biggest place where we failed and there was a failure in our lives and we begin to link our identity to that moment or that action or that pattern in our life and you think, this is who I am. This is who I am. And we can't get away from it. We can't run from it. We try a million different ways to hide from it, but it's deep inside our soul. And the reality is you and I, if you have a pulse in this room and you do, cause you're here, If you have a pulse in this room, you and I, we have a long history of mess ups. It's a long history. Can I tell you, when I think back to some of my most shameful moments, I still feel the sting. Today, Satan loves to whisper and remind us and speak condemnations in our ear and tell us that's who you really are. And the reality could not be further from the truth. But something that you and I do need to know is that apart from Christ, 
This is our identity. identity. Apart from the work of Christ and belief in Christ in our life, that is who we are. The Bible is full of descriptions of those who have rejected God and who we are at our core. It's not pretty and it's not good. But there's good news in the house today because 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 talks about how, yes, there you were once that person or maybe today you are that person running far from God and you are living and identify with that life of sin that is so defining, by the way, that it will determine our eternity, whether we are with God for all eternity or separated with him forever. It does define us. Yet the good news in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 says, some of you were once like that. And if you're like this this morning, I pray today you leave out changed in Jesus' name. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. Has anybody called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in this house today? Have you called on the name of Jesus? who cleanses us, who makes us holy. It's not talking about perfection. Perfection this side of heaven is impossible, but are we pointed? Because God has positioned us and he says, you are holy. I believe when you and I allow our sins to define who we are, we are denying the power of the cross. We are denying the sacrifice that God made for you and for me. And we are denying the identity that God has given to you. We don't let our sin define us. Don't allow your sin to define you. Remember church, remember who you are. And we're gonna look at who you are in just a moment. Another identity theft case is when we believe the lie that I am who my trauma says I am. There's been some really terrible things that have happened to some of us. There's been some very hard places that are represented in this room. Maybe for you, a parent abandoned you when you were young and there's been this tape that you battled. Am I loved? Am I worthy of love? And there's all kinds of ways you've compensated to try to gain that love. Maybe for some of us in this room, you've walked through a divorce and you find yourself defining and seeing your life as defined by divorce. Every room you walk into, every group of people that you engage with, there's this nagging label that you have over your head. God says, that's not a label that I put there. Some of us, maybe you've been through abuse. One out of four people, it says in studies, have experienced sexual abuse. You've been through abuse and that abuse begins to whisper lies of who you are. I am damaged. Something's wrong with me. I can't have healthy relationships. And those lies began distorting and destroying the identity of who we are. When we find ourselves in that space where we have encountered trauma, we've got to run to the God who heals the wounds that somebody else inflicted. God will heal us, but we've got to run to him, not run to all these other answers. Another identity theft is the lie that I am who my circumstances say I am. Maybe a tragedy hit your house. Maybe there was a loss of income or you have a kid who's really struggling. Maybe you were injured in this room. So years and years ago, I, I'm a counselor and I've been in this profession for over 20 years, had such a privilege to walk with people in places of pain. 
And I remember years ago, early on in my practice, there was this beautiful young woman, maybe in her early 20s, and she came in just burdened and weighted down, and we began to meet together. And she began to share with me about her life that she struggled with diabetes. She was diagnosed with diabetes, and truly the disease had been just raging through her body, and she'd had a very, very hard road with diabetes. And so we began to talk about this reality, the circumstance in her life, and the longer we talked, the more it became clear that her problems were not just about her health condition. Because somewhere along the way, this beautiful, sweet girl had intertwined the condition of her body with the identity of her soul. And as we began to talk, I would hear her over and over again and it led to such insecurity in her life. I'm diabetic, so this means I won't be able to. I'm diabetic, so I don't know that someone's gonna wanna be with me. I'm diabetic, I don't know that I'll ever get married. I am diabetic, I am diabetic. And one day, the Holy Spirit through me just said, hold on a second. We need to change some of this language. You struggle with diabetes. You have the condition of diabetes, but diabetes does not define who you are. It is not who you are in your soul. It does not have anything to do with who you are as a person. Yes, we struggle, but dealing with something is different than being defined by something. It's different. And whatever it is in your life, whatever circumstance you're up against, understand that thing is real. We have to face it, whether it's trauma, whether it's other circumstances, but that does not define who we are. Last identity theft, I'm sure there's many more, but this last thief in our lineup is me. It's the lie that I say who I am. I am who I say I am. I'm the expert, I know best, and I'm not about to let anybody tell me what to do, much less who I am. Or maybe I don't know, but you know what? I'm in charge of my life and I'm gonna go find my answers my way. And so we run, maybe we run to the culture. What does the culture tell us in this world? I see the pictures all over, whether it's at the gym or on the t-shirt or in a picture and oh, the madness and it says things, messages. And maybe we've even said it not knowing in this room. Sayings such as, you are enough. You are enough, believe in yourself. Trust your heart. Follow your heart. These messages that point back to me that I can figure out my life when in reality, I am nothing apart from Christ Jesus. Not only am I not enough, I need him, but with him, I am filled with a power and an ability to leave beyond what I could ever do on my own. I'm not gonna follow my heart. I'm gonna follow Jesus But when we find ourselves in this place where I say who I am, I define who I am, our hearts resonate with these faulty messages and we begin to pick them up and we begin to look at things in our life and we begin to define ourselves by those things, those passions, those people. Maybe it could look like our very own position that I'm defined by my position. We don't say these things to ourselves, but they're tapes that play in the subconscious of our mind and we lock onto them and we live it out. Positions, maybe it's your job title, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you have whatever profession that you have, and that's a powerful and wonderful gift to go and carry out that position. But what if you begin to define yourself and identify yourself by that position? Or maybe you might say today, I'm a father or I'm a mom, one of the most noble positions that God can ever give a human being. But if I begin to define myself, 
I am a mom. We begin to define ourselves in so many different ways. And God says, hey, that's great. Maybe it's the position in your friendships. Maybe it's the position with a really sweet friend in your life. And that's great. But if I define myself, what happens when the job is gone? What happens when the kids grow up? What happens if something changes with that friendship? And I'm lost and I'm left wondering who in the world am I? We've got to have something stronger than what we say about ourselves. Another example, there's so many, but this is a powerful one. It's a hard one is that we live in a day when many of us define ourselves by our sexuality. I am what I feel. I love the way I want to love. And if I feel this way, then that's my life. And so I'm gonna follow it. Right now we have a reality of a transgender trend in our culture. By the way, it's not new. It's been around thousands of years ago if you study history, but it's new to many of us and it's, it's frequency and it's, it's loudness. And the reality is that someone's struggling and maybe today you may be that person and we love you. Thank you, God, that you're in this house because he adores you. But you find yourself in that place and someone struggling with that transgender identity doesn't know who they are. There's confusion. I don't like who I am. I don't like the body that I'm in. If this could be changed, maybe then I would be okay. And the enemy preys upon that confusion and preys upon that unhappiness, which then leads to permanent choices, causing great destruction and devastation, depression, anxiety. No matter what, no matter who the false identity thief is in your life, please hear this today, church. God loves you. God is for you. God wants to give you a new name. He wants to give you his identity. He wants to make you strong in something bigger than yourself and all those other identity theft voices. The question is, will you receive it today? God stands ready and he gives us a new identity in Christ. It's our true identity. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that anyone, anyone underscore anyone and everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Not will, but you have. You're a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So when I start from that position with Christ, now, First Peter, Peter reminds us, this church is who you are. Let's look at it, unpack it, and I pray today you will walk in it and become and be who you already are. First Peter 2, 9, we look again, God says this. Oh, my beloved, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. We're gonna look at each one of these and I ask God to just minister to your heart today and underline in the soul who you are. Ephesians 1, verse four, The first thing God says is, you are a chosen people. You have been chosen by God. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Can you imagine? Don't you wish sometimes that you would look at someone you dearly loved and wish they could look at you without fault? Feel the power of that reality, that you have a creator God who looks at you without fault. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. God loves you, he adores you. And there's a lot to unpack there and it could be a whole message in itself. What does it mean to be chosen by God? But what I can share with you today is, is that long before time, God chose that you were going to be created by him. And long before time began, God created and he decided, I have a plan to save them. And I am choosing to save them. And when Jesus came as a baby and lay in a manger, born in that manger, born in that, that place with the animals, he made the choice to come and enact the plan of salvation for you and for me. And when Jesus chose to stay on that cross when he could have called the angels and come down at any moment, yet he stayed. He chose to pour out his blood to cover your sin, to make you clean, to provide a way for you to be right with him. God chose. There's no question that God chose you. The question is, have you chosen to receive him? Have you chosen the gift that he offers you simply through faith? I believe you, God. I receive this gift through Jesus that you have given to me. Have you chosen? Have you made this choice today? It makes me think of the NFL draft, which is hilarious because I know nothing about it. <laughs> but supposedly, there are amazing players who are very excited that they might get chosen. And the day comes when the draft is enacted and all the teams are ready to go. And they go through the process and one by one, they begin to choose these players. And as I understand it, that when that player is chosen, they have a choice. Either I accept this offer or I can no longer play football. I'm gonna accept this offer or I can say no. Well, Jesus chooses you. Jesus has chosen you. Will you accept his offer today? Please, if you are new to God, exploring God, mad at God, wherever you find yourself today, please don't leave this church without accepting the gift of salvation through Christ. You are chosen. Now choose him through faith. Have you placed your faith in Jesus today? Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. So no amount of good works because we'll boast about that. It is a free gift from a good God. Put your faith in him today. And understand that when and because you are chosen, God says you also have purpose. The second thing that God tells us about our identity, he says you are a chosen people and you are royal priests. This is powerful. So I went to the Greek to try to understand these words a little bit better in their original form. And I wanna take apart royal and look at priest. So royal, here's what royal in the Greek means. It's describing something as relating to a king or belonging to a king. If you are a member of God's family, friend, you are royalty. You are how can I say this? Because our father is the king of kings and he has adopted us as his own. You are royalty in this room. And some of us need to stop running to our rags of unrighteousness and putting on these ragged, wretched clothes and it's not who you are. We need to put on his robe of righteousness that he has made us holy and clean and walk in who you are. He's made us royalty. 
but it's a royal priesthood. And that word priesthood, this is really interesting to me as I looked at the meaning. It's described as an office for mediation between the divine and human. You have been appointed to an office. God has appointed you as a mediator between a lost world and the God who created us. And you might say, how in the world can I be a, a mediator between God and people? How, how can I be a priest? Well, isn't it interesting that priests have direct access to God and you, my friend, have direct access to the creator of heaven and earth. Hebrews 4.16 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it the most. We have direct access to the God who has all the answers. And he not only has the answers, he has all the resources, he has all the strength, he has all the power for life. And God says, hey, don't just come in with your head down low. You come into my throne room boldly because I appointed you. You are royal, you are a priesthood. I believe some of us today, we are coming down and while we may look confident on the outside, our shoulders are slumped in this room because we've forgotten who we are. Some of us in this room, you've forgotten that you are royalty. You've forgotten that you have an assignment on this earth and you look at the point of your weakness or your greatest sin or your failures and you've forgotten that God says you are royal, you are a priesthood. And some of us, we've been rolling in the mud of unrighteousness and we are exhausted in this place today. God says, I want you to remember who you are and I believe that there's a person right now, maybe it was recent, that you felt the sting of rejection from someone you really cared about. Maybe it was a friend, someone who had been in the trenches with you, someone you'd walked a lot of life with, and somewhere along the way, that friend began to make assumptions about who you were. Maybe they didn't see you at your best, and they began to judge you, and for whatever reason, that friend cut and run. Anybody ever been there? It's painful. It's so hurtful. And your mind can begin to take on these accusations and you can begin to say, well, if they see me this way, maybe that's who I am. And what God would tell you today is you need to remind yourself of who you are. There is no person's opinion. There is no person's approval of you that changes your identity in Christ. You have an assignment on this earth. You have a calling and it is unshakable for the child of God. Your identity is intertwined with your purpose. Priests have an assignment on earth to mediate between God and the people around us. You're like, what does that look like? Friend, as a Christ follower, you've been assigned by God to deliver hope and healing to a world in pain. Not your hope, not your healing. It is the power of God moving through you, his hope to a lost world and you have been chosen as the messenger. What might this look like? Starts by living it out in your life, walk in it, walk in your assignment. Speak truth, speak God's truth in great love to the people around you. Tell people the things of God, pray in faith. I am convinced in my spirit that sometimes we look at a certain group of people and we think they're the prayer ninjas. And that's the one I need to go and have pray over me. And what I would tell you is if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, he is looking to you to be the person who prays 
for other people and not just praise for them, praise in faith because I know who I am. It's not my strength anyway. It's only his that's gonna come through for this person. So I'm gonna stand in faith and partner with them right here and right now, believing in him that he is able We've got to pray over the people around us. Use your gifts. You've been given gifts and God calls us to use them to build his church and his kingdom and testify as a priest to a world in pain. Tell people what God has done in your life. Tell them the ways that he saved you and the things he saved you from. Tell them how he changed your identity and he makes you who you are. Tell of the good things of our God. I believe God today is looking for students, guys, girls. He's looking for men, for women who will man your post. Show up in a world that runs, in a world so confused, in a world that lacks backbone. Could we be the people who show up and man our post? God, I accept your assignment. Every day that I wake up, Lord, help me accept it fresh today in Jesus' name. You are a royal priesthood. Peter goes on to say, you are a holy nation. Holy, what does that word mean? I looked it up and again, it meant set apart, consecrated, dedicated, saint. This is who we are, a holy nation. That nation, that group of people, we belong to something bigger than us. Pastor Tony Evans, whom we love, said it this way, that people of God are a holy nation, not a perfect people, but a people set apart with passion to live, to please God. Today, church, you need to stand firm because you are holy. Stand firm, walk in that holiness. Don't go back to the rags of unrighteousness. Walk in the holiness that God says you have been given. And stand firm. You're a part of a nation. Do you really understand that? In the core of our humanity, so often many of us feel very alone. Even in a crowd this size, you may be feeling alone right now. Maybe even in your own household, you may be feeling very alone right now. Be encouraged, stand firm. You are a part of a group of people, a larger nation, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You are not alone. So until we get there, Let us run to the people of God. Let us run with the community of the church. Let us have a foretaste of what will be one day. And I know we're messy and I know we're not perfect and I know we blow it and I know we bump one another and I know we say all kinds of things that are ridiculous, but you know what? God is making us new. Let's go be made new together as we walk together. Let's go do it. We wanna be a part of that community. God says, you are not alone. And finally, he says, You are God's very own possession, my friend. God chose you and you are his. There's nothing that we desire more in a marriage than to look at one another with love that's real and say, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Well, I want you to know the God who created you, knit you together in your mother's womb, looks at you today and he says, I chose you, you are my possession. I am yours and you are mine. Stand firm because today you are God's people and he takes care of his own. He loves us. John 10, 28, he says, I give them eternal life 
Jesus is talking, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Underline, no one. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of our God. You are his dearly beloved possession. And when God holds you in his hand, you cannot escape his grip. Nothing can snatch you away. You're safe. Stay close to the Lord. First Peter, verse two continues after all that. This is who you are. This is who you are. So as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Somebody today, you're stuck in the dark. In the darkness of your circumstances, your trauma, your situation, what someone else said to you. You're in the dark about who you really are. Trying to chase it in so many things. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. You're his people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. As a result, God is saying, tell the world. As a result of who you are, now go be a light. You're my people. Don't forget that you're my people. And with your identity comes a purpose. They're intertwined. So funny, a couple weeks ago, Brandon was preaching and as he was preaching, he hit on maybe this passage and he talked about how his dad said something to him as he was growing up. Well, guess what? We didn't know each other at that point, but somewhere in the world, my dad was telling me the very same thing. When I was a teenager, I remember I would be getting ready to go out with friends or getting ready to go who knows what, not always good. And my dad would stop me and he would look me in the eyes and he would say, remember who you are. You're a Bohannon. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. God today is looking into your eyes and into your soul and he's saying, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You've got to remember who God has made us to be. I believe that many of us in this room truly, you're miserable today. You're miserable if you're being really honest. And maybe that misery is coming from a place where you don't know who you are or you haven't been living out who you are in Christ. And as a result, you've been chasing. You've been taking on the wrong assignments. You've missed your purpose and you're exhausted. You're frustrated. You're asking yourself, is this even worth it? Or maybe you're accomplishing a lot. You're having a whole lot of success and you're still unfulfilled. You know, God is so good, so kind, just like in the garden with Adam and Eve. He engaged them. And he engages us right now. And I believe God would ask you, who told you? Who told you you were unlovable? Who told you you are rejected? Who told you that you are dirty? Who told you you're defined by your success? Who told you you're defined by the point of your greatest sin? Who told you you're too old? Who told you that you're too young? Who told you that it's too late? It's not my voice because God says, 
You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are my very own possession. You are God's people. So let's know who we are. And church, let's walk out the assignment God's given us to do. I wanna ask our prayer team, if you would, to go ahead and come forward. Just make your way to the front. If something in this room has spoken to you or pricked your heart, we wanna take a moment and pray over you and see freedom happen in your life this morning. There may be someone in here, you just have a burden. It may not be about a struggle with identity or something specific, but something in your heart, you've got a burden in this room. There are people here who say, I wanna stand with you in faith and I wanna pray that God is gonna move mountains in your life. Will you come in a moment and allow us to pray over you? Somebody, if you're sick today, we wanna pray for your healing. It may be big, it may be small, whatever it is, don't live with it without asking God to break through in your life. Let's believe in faith for your healing today. And maybe someone, you just gotta be ready for Christmas. All jokes aside, holidays are hard. We wanna stand with you and pray. So church, I'm gonna pray over you and then I want us to stand together. We're gonna worship in a moment. But I am asking you as an act of faith to move. Let us pray for you. God, I pray over these amazing people that you created. You love them. You've called them. You've defined them. God, I pray your spirit would move in this place as only you can do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Will you stand to your feet, church? Will you begin moving? We only have a few moments. Don't miss this opportunity. Let us pray with you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about Keystone Church, please visit us at keystonechurch.com.